what was most impressive for me was was the way they came back against um, South Korea after going down three nothing. They came back. That was in the uh, third inning. They came back with four runs in the bottom of the third, and then scored five runs in the sixth. And just um, that was that was very impressive. Hello, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you may be. Welcome to today's Twitter Spaces from Japan Forward's Sports Look. I'm your host, Edo Devon, sports editor of Japan Forward and Sports Look. And joining me today is uh, sports reporter Jim Armstrong to discuss the ongoing World Baseball Classic. In particular, the um, Tokyo portion of the tournament so far. Jim, thank you for joining us on this busy afternoon. How's it going? Hey, Ed, it's good. How are you? I'm fine. It's a nice day. I uh, had a good walk earlier, uh, enjoying the sunshine. Yep, it's it's beautiful. Cherry blossoms will be out soon. And, uh, of course, the games are inside, though, right? So the weather, I know they're at night when the sun goes down, but, you know, people don't get that outside vibe with the beautiful weather. Yeah, it's, it's a shame, but... Uh... That's that's the reality of Tokyo Dome. Jim, uh, let's um, let's particularly uh, look back at March 9th through 12th and, you know, discuss your general impressions and mine as well about Samurai Japan uh, and those four games that they played back to back to back to back days. Uh, you know, it's a busy scheduling format with um, four different countries and four different days. You know, it's kind of an interesting way they do it with with pool play or group phase, whatever you want to call it. Officially, they call it pool B. Um, you know, I could see I could see a different structure being more uh, more conducive for you know physical fitness or even just mental preparation for a different team. But how do you think Japan basically handled um, you know playing the China, South Korea, Czech Republic? In Australia, beyond the scores, but just how do they look? Um, just you know, mentally focused, and um, they look pretty consistent to you, and all that, and all that they accomplished. Yeah, I think you can say things really couldn't have gone much better for the Japanese team. I mean, they went four and zero. The big, the big win for me was was over Korea, thirteen to four. You know, that's probably the, other than Japan, that's probably the strongest team traditionally. That that would be the strongest team in that group other than Japan. And and Japan ab- absolutely crushed them, which was which was quite a surprise. I mean, Korea got out to a 3 nothing lead. And, uh, you know, Japan came right back and, and just totally dominated them. Is do you do you play do you place much value on the rankings of the World Softball Baseball Confederation? I know Japan is ranked number one. South Korea was ranked fourth entering this game. You know, China is thirtieth. Australia is tenth. Czech Republic is fifteenth. But there's so few international events that, unlike other sports, where you can really maybe have kind of a cross national or cross uh, continental, you know, kind of. Um, analysis of who's good and who isn't do, do the do the rankings really mean anything to you in terms of matchups um I, I don't think so not really i mean it's been so long since we had a uh a world baseball classic uh you know so the rankings don't really seem to to make 
to mean that much to me. I mean, you know that Japan, United States, Dominican Republic, um, those are going to be the strong teams in this tournament, regardless of what the rankings say. But um, just getting back to Japan, I mean, it was just a spectacular first four games for them. Um, everything seemed to go right. Uh, the pitching has been outstanding. The hitting has been outstanding. And really, there's no – the only low point maybe is that um, Murakami has kind of struggled at the plate. He's only got, I think, one hit, and he's been batting cleanup. Um, and then the other slight hiccup was that um, Genda got injured. He injured his finger sliding into second base. Uh but it's been incredible. And, and even Murakami, uh, you know, he's he's struggled in the cleanup spot. But I think it's significant that the manager hasn't moved him. He's stuck with him. And he's basically said to him, look, uh, don't worry about it. You're you're batting fourth. And I have confidence in you. And, and you're going to stay there. And it'll be interesting to see if that continues. Um going forward when the games start to mean a lot more. I don't know if you've had a chance to read my column that was published earlier today. Uh, I know you're busy doing a variety of different things, including sumo coverage. Uh, so if you're listening, please, uh, anybody listening, please check out our sumo coverage at uh, Sports Look, which can be accessed at japan-forward.com. But Jim, uh, I had two main points in my column today, which um, I started out by saying that in the month of March, the early part of the month, the person with the most scrutinized or in the spotlight job in Japan in any management position is Hideki Kuriyama. And I'm sort of like even comparing his job to like, you know, more in the spotlight than the prime ministers, at least up to this point in the month before the meeting with the Korean uh, prime uh, president, prime minister uh, leadership, I should say. Um so one thing, you know, Kuriyama has this job where everybody is sort of, you know, wanting him to, from a baseball standpoint, you know, to relead Japan to the third, to another championship, become the first country to win the World Baseball Classic three times. And uh, the other point I made really was, you know, with the pitching, with the pitching on the, the interesting aspect of who was going to start games one through four. Where you really couldn't, you really couldn't go wrong with the, with any of the orders that uh, pitching rotation order that you used, but I think that um, I think Kuriyama really rolled the dice in the, exactly the right way. He made up his mind perfectly, I think, to go with Otani in Game One, Darvish in Game Two, Sasaki for the March 11th game was very symbolic, being a player from Iwate, being from Tohoku and the anniversary of the um, Great Japan, Great East Japan Earthquake. Right. I think that was an important decision. Yep. And then, you know, having the luxury of using Yamamoto in game four, yeah. this is a guy who's been, you know, back-to-back MVP awards. Yeah. Just so incredible. Yeah. But I thought that was something to really to point out that he played his cards perfectly in those in, in that decision, those decisions. What, what do you think about that? Do you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I thought it was great that he went with Otani in, in the opening game, even though, you know, the opposition was China and, and everybody knew that Japan was going to win that game. But 
it's kind of made a statement, uh, and, and Otani was was the guy everyone wanted to see. So it made sense to start with him, and then as you say, going with uh, Darvish and uh, Sasaki and Yamamoto. It's been, I mean, those were great decisions by him, I think. And as you say, it's it's kind of an embarrassment of riches with that team. And the other thing is, you know, because of the pitch counts. It's very important on how he manages uh, who comes in next because the starting pitchers in that first round could only go 65 pitches. And then he, you know, he was able to bring in guys like Miyagi, Imanaga, and Takahashi from the Swallows. I mean, these, these, are, these are starting pitchers. They, they would be... You know they're they're practically the aces of their staffs. So I mean it's just uh, he's got a lot to work with, and uh, you know tomorrow against Italy, I mean he could start Otani, and then he could bring in Darvish, for example, or Sasaki. I mean he's just got a lot to work with there, and I, I don't think any other team in this tournament has that luxury. And looking ahead, uh, Jim, I heard what you mentioned about Otani. It has been officially announced that he will start against Italy. So, you know, the tone setter in the pool phase of the tournament will be the tone setter on the mound in the elimination phase, single elimination phase. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I think he can go a little longer than 65 pitches in in the next round. I think they bump up the uh the pitch count, is that your understanding? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be, what, 75 or 80? Yeah. Sorry, I've got to double-check the numbers. but Yeah, so anyways, Otani will be able to go a little longer. And, um, you know, then Kuriyama could, could conceivably bring in Darvish, you know, if it's a close game and, and he needs to get those last uh, three or four innings. You know, he's got... Any pretty much anyone. I mean, it's it's a game. If you lose, you go home. You know, so they're not going to uh, they're not going to hold people back. What are your general impressions of Lars Nootbaar as a catalyst at the starting, you know, at the leadoff spot, and just kind of the vibes that he's created around the team and the buzz with fans and whatnot? You know, he's he's also been very good as an outfielder, making some great catches. Yeah, he's been he's been fantastic. When they first announced that that they were going to have him, I th- I kind of thought to myself, "Wow, what's this all about?" I mean, Japan doesn't really need uh, need to bring over somebody from the major leagues. They have so many great players here. Uh so I wasn't sure what they were getting at with that. But now that I see Nootbar play, uh he's been a great addition to the team. Um, he's batting leadoff, and, he, and he's kind of a mood maker. He's got a very outgoing, uh, easygoing personality, and, and the players love him, and the fans love him. And he's, as you said, he's made some spectacular plays, and, and he's sort of a catalyst. He, along with Kondo, uh, who bats second, I mean, they've done a great job at setting the table for Otani. And um, so Nootbar has been a great addition to the team. And and Kuriyama has said that already. He's talked about how popular he is and how he gives 120% and how he has kind of inspired the other uh, 
his teammates. Yeah, you can see that in his interacting with them, uh, you know, like in the dugout or, you know, like during batting practice, kind of walking around, slapping guys on the, you know, the side of the head or on the back, you know, they're, they just have kind of a good uh, report, it appears. And it's been developed pretty quickly. Yeah, it's been great. And and he brings that sort of um, easygoing element to the team. You know, Japan sports teams can tend to be a little tense at times. And to have a guy like Newtbar out there is really important to uh, to get the players to relax. How how important do you think it, it is that uh, that Darvish committed to play, that Otani committed to play, that Yoshida committed to play? as being, uh, you know, kind of showing the younger guys that, that that the Japanese baseball community is all in on trying to win back the WBC? Well, I think it's been huge. And, and I think that was one of the things that Kuriyama brought to the mix. You know, he was the manager uh, of Darvish and, and Otani when they were with the Nippon Ham Fighters, I believe. Uh, I'd have to check that. He was manager of at least one of them. Um, so when he when he came calling, uh, th- they were happy to uh, to sign on. You know, I don't know if any other managers could have pulled that off. Um, but you know, when Kuriyama asked them, they were happy to to oblige him and and sign on to play. And Yoshida, you got to give credit to him. This is a guy who who interrupted his first spring training with the Boston Red Sox in order to play for Japan. I mean, not many players would do that, right? You're going over to the major leagues. It's your first spring training. It's very important uh, to go over there and establish yourself with your new teammates. But he was willing to say, hey, I'll take time out of that and come and play for Japan. And and he's been spectacular at the plate. He drove in uh, five runs in, in one of those games. and So he's been a key player too, and a lot of credit to him. Do you think it'll be difficult for Yoshida to get back to the U.S. and then sort of get on a normal schedule again and then get, you know, have enough time to sort of relax and then get amped up again for the season? Uh, Well, it won't be it won't be easy. Um, It would have been easier for him just to stay in spring training. Um, But, you know, I mean, he's it's not as though he's a pitcher. Um, so he'll. I think it would be harder for a pitcher to do that, but I think he'll uh, he'll fit in well with the Red Sox. It might take him a little longer than normal, but I think he'll be fine. Looking back at the uh, looking back again at the four games last week uh, through Sunday, what was most impressive to you um, of what you observed, and what was most surprising, perhaps? Um, well, I would just say. Um, as I said earlier, what probably what was most impressive for me was was the way they came back against um, South Korea after going down three nothing. They came back. That was in the uh, third inning. They came back with four runs in the bottom of the third, and then scored five runs in the sixth. And just um, that was that was very impressive. Yeah, that that was a that was a tone setting. Uh, those two innings there, the all those runs, you know, like the game changed to just the momentum changed so quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's when this team 
really came together and realized that um, that they could go all the way. I know you've seen a lot of uh, big home runs hit in Japan, and particularly uh, for this conversation, the Tokyo Dome is the discussion. Do you recall just the buzz, the excitement generated by a home run that was bigger than Otani's on Sunday at at Tokyo Dome? Yeah, not really. I mean, that that was probably the biggest I've ever seen. I mean, you know, Hideki Matsui could really electrify that crowd uh, with his home runs into the uh, into the right field stands and beyond. But that one by Otani, I mean, it just seemed that um, that that was probably the biggest home run that Tokyo Dome has ever seen. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be among the top three or top four. Yeah, and the fact that the ball almost hit his uh, hit a big billboard of Otani, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just seemed to add to the uh, the drama. That would have been the the bullseye, literally, right? If it did hit the the billboard. Yeah, I mean, I think you. Uh, I don't know if they still have it, but in the old days, if you hit a billboard with a home run ball, you would get whatever the billboard was. Like if it was an ad for a car, you'd get a car. Yeah. I've seen that at several ballparks in the U S that kind of promotional, uh, you know, gimmick, you know, when a car, when a suit, when a, you know, a free steak or, you know, a case of beer, depending on what the billboard was. Yeah. I'll have to check out what the, uh, billboard with, uh, Otani's face on it was for, cause he, he may be in for a nice gift. Although the ball didn't hit it, so right, yeah. One of one of the other things that was I found really um, interesting was that Sasaki was, as we said earlier, he was great on uh, on March 11th. Um, you know, and and his family suffered deeply from from that tragedy. Uh, but one of the things that was interesting was he hit. Uh, he hit one of the Czech batters with a fastball to the knee. And I was sitting in the press box and, and the sound, it sounded like a ball hitting a bat. There was a huge crack and <laughs> the poor uh, Czech batter went down in a heap and was down for quite a while. Eventually he got up under his own steam and made it to first base and then I heard a couple of days later, Sasaki went to his hotel and, and gave him uh, a bunch of chocolates. So that was a nice, I thought that was a nice gesture. I think it might've been the next morning or maybe you're right. Maybe two days later. Yeah. That's not something you see in baseball every day. And actually there's pictures of the two guys on, on social media now where, you know, he, he's the, the check guy is holding the bags Standing next to um, Sasaki. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was that was funny. So, Jim, let's talk a little bit about the quarterfinals starting tonight and then tomorrow in Tokyo. So Australia and Cuba tonight, Japan and Italy tomorrow. Uh, what are your predictions? Well, I, I would... Uh, I've been so focused on the Japanese team. I haven't really been following the others that much. Um, I would say that Australia, they've got to be considered one of the surprises of the tournament. I mean, how many people thought they would be in the quarterfinals, right? 
they've got a lot of good hitters on that team. I think that's their strength um, is their hitting. Uh, but, uh, you know, you got to figure Cuba being the baseball power that they are. I would go with them. This is the first time that the major leaguers uh, are allowed to play for Cuba, correct? Yes. In the WBC? Yes, yes. How much more of an impact have you? do you think that is having so far? Well, I think it's uh, it definitely helps. I mean, they got off to a kind of kind of a slow start um, in their in their pool B, um, but they they managed to rally and um, and make it to Tokyo. So that's to their credit. That was kind of an interesting pool. Uh, sorry, it was Pool A. Every team in that pool finished with a two and two record, as you know. And so it was interesting to see that that it was so evenly matched, and um, the two teams that came out of it were Cuba and Italy. I was going to mention that the fact that if in future World Baseball Classics, I wonder if they want to make a rule rule change or a scheduling uh, modification where if four teams are all if all teams in the group are tied, that they have some kind of tiebreaker on the field rather than based on scores, you know, and head to heads, that kind of, you know, it might kind of lose the, the luster a little bit when, when a team is two and two at home, like Taiwan and, you know, doesn't, you know, even have a shot at maybe a fifth game. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good idea. I mean, this is still a very young tournament uh, when you think about it. Uh, But yeah, I think they will have to make some, adjustments there because you know to have taiwan go out after being two and two that's just doesn't seem right to me so i think they're going to have to to make some tweaks to to how the first round is played i'll be your score reader here for a quick second um italy's four games these are these are the results italy six cuba three Taiwan 11, Italy 7. Panama 2, Italy 0. And then Italy 7, Netherlands 1. So wins over Cuba and Netherlands got Italy into the uh, second round. Yeah, well, I mean, that especially the win over Netherlands. I mean, that was huge. The Netherlands was a team that that many thought would be here in Tokyo. they didn't make it, and Italy, to their credit, um, they they got through. And and I don't know a hell of a lot about Italy, but I do know that their manager is Mike Piazza, and uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Just quickly, earlier today, I was going through the roster and and looking a little bit about background about Team Italy, and uh, yeah, so Mike Piazza, Italian American. Uh, is the manager of the team. And of the 36 players listed on the roster in February, five of them were born in Italy. So the majority of them were born in the United States. A couple were born in uh, Latin American countries and um, elsewhere. But so five of the 36 uh, were Italian-born players. Matt Harvey, former all-star pitcher and a 13-game winner of the Mets in 2015, 
is the most recognizable name on the roster. Yeah, and I don't know what his connection to Italy is. Do you? I'm guessing one of his parents or grandparents is Italian, but um, I have not looked at his direct lineage. Right, right. Anyways, I mean, it's a surprise that Italy is is into the quarterfinals, don't you think? Yeah, I, I personally thought maybe Taiwan might have squeezed in or the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what what most people thought. So, I mean, Japan, I think, has a huge advantage um, going up against Italy on Thursday. Yeah, I think you're right about that. A big, big, big favorite. When you look back at the World Cup of Soccer last year and then the WBC now, how do you think from a fan standpoint, like the momentum carries over from the excitement from a couple wins like against Germany and Spain, and then now as Japan enters the quarterfinal round, you think there's like it's on the same kind of emotional high? Um, I don't. I mean, I with the Japan beating Spain and Germany in in the World Cup, I think that came as more of a um, as more of a surprise and a shock. I think most Japanese fans going into this tournament knew that their team was going to do very well. Um, you know, they're, they're favored to win it. Um, but still the, the support and the excitement has been incredible. I mean, sports bars are packed. Tokyo Dome is sold out. Uh, the TV ratings are fantastic. So, I mean, the, the whole country is, is behind what Japan is doing and is very excited about what they're doing. And then, you know, of course you have Otani, um, coming back to play in Japan for the first time since, you know, becoming one of the biggest stars in the, if not the biggest star in the game. Yeah. One of the sports papers last week, actually, uh, I want to say the week before when it was still a warm up game, ran a big headline, you know, like 1900 and something days since Otani was in, um, had a game in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like like it was like it was like nineteen hundred and like thirty-eight days or some like ridiculous number, you know, and it was precisely plastered on the you know the top headline. The day the day that he hit those two home runs against uh wasn't it Hanshin? Yeah, yeah. In the warm-up games, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he really is uh I mean the, the Japan doesn't have another sports star like Otani, you know. I mean it, there's nothing that comes close. I think I think this this tournament just sort of elevates him even more, though, if that's possible, because people that don't watch baseball as frequently in the States or other countries might be tuning in because they're Angels fans or just the time of year. It might be, you know, the sport might be just getting new fans. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that I think that's true. I mean, that's that's what um, baseball is hoping for with this tournament. Um, to generate new fans in, in markets that aren't some of them aren't traditional baseball markets. I mean, you've got a team from Great Britain in this tournament, um, and then all these teams had to qualify. You know, they didn't; they weren't just uh, given a place. I mean, they, they had to qualify. And the Czech Republic—that was a great story. Um, these are all 
players, you know, who have regular jobs, you know, they're like mechanics and insurance salesmen and um, computer technicians. And, and they came together and formed a baseball team. They qualified for the tournament. And, you know, even though they only got one win, uh, they they did themselves proud, I thought. What do you what do you think um, should be the biggest thing people should look for and anticipate over the next uh, several days? Uh, do you, any new heroes that will emerge or really the same names and faces really carrying the pitching and the batting and the fielding? Well, I think you're going to, from Japan, you're going to see more of what you saw in the first four games. Um, you know, the games, as you said in your column, the games are really important now. If you lose, you go home. So, uh, you know, you're going to see like Otani pitching. And then, like I said earlier, you may see Darvish come in after him. And then maybe after him, you may see Yamamoto. It'll be, you know, all hands on deck um, to get the win and to move on to the United States. And I think, you know, in terms of batting, you're going to see Newt Barr and Kondo continue with their hot hitting. It'd be nice to see Murakami get hot. I mean, this guy's a triple crown winner. Um, I think the team expects him to get more hits, and I think he will. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I think you're going to see more of the same from Japan. If you were the if you were the director of the WBC, Jim, would you add a couple more days in between the quarterfinals and the semifinals because of the travel and the distance people are going from, and then the time you know the perhaps, you know, not being able to sleep very well with the time difference. Is that enough window of opportunity window between days from, uh, you know, Wednesday and Thursday to Sunday yeah. and Monday? Yeah. Would, it's a bit would a couple, would two or three more extra days be more sensible in your view, even taking into account spring training? I, I think it would be, I mean, it's a bit unfair, you know, when you ask, I mean, it's probably going to be Japan, right? It's it's a bit unfair to ask them to fly halfway around the world and uh, to play in in the United States, especially in Miami. You know, in in the first two WBCs, it was in California. It's a bit easier to take, so it's it's a bit of an ask. You know, these guys are going to be uh, jet lagged, so I, I would agree with that. I, I think they would probably could use a couple of extra days to acclimate to uh, the East Coast of the United States. Jim, I appreciate you coming on the, the, the spaces today to talk about the World Baseball Classic and about Samurai Japan. Uh, looking forward to reading your upcoming stories and to talk about the tournament more later on. Okay, Ed. Well, it was great talking to you, and uh, I'd love to uh, hang around and talk more, but... Uh, I've got some sumo to watch. As do I. And uh, that's a good problem to have, right? <laughs> yeah, sumo and then baseball. So uh, it's a busy day here in Japan. Okay, thank you everybody for listening in, uh, catching it live or in uh, archived um, platform on um, the World Wide Web. Mm-hmm.